Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. The other thing I thought of was, I wonder whether this gets then affected by, by need or by Maslow. In other words, I'll give you $50 this week or $200 next week. Yeah, but, you know, I actually need to eat now. So I'm going to take that because I genuinely have a need that I can't wait another week for. We can think of our future selves as being very, very similar to our current self or as being a completely different person almost. So when you are in your 20s and starting off with your first job and you have the opportunity to invest for retirement, the thought of you as a retired person, it seems like just a complete alien. Like it's just such a different person that you don't connect with that person. And so it doesn't feel like you're shortchanging your future self because it feels like just a stranger. In general, people are going to value the immediacy more than future benefits. So as a practical matter, that might mean that the car wash is going to have to really discount those future car washes a lot in order for people to be willing to shell out the payment up front. So it may have to be a substantial price discount in order to get people to commit to those five future car washes. Ryan, it's always amazed me how much a wealth of information there is within academia mm-hmm. and that doesn't get used by business. Yeah. And it's such great information. But it always amazes me how appalling people in academia are at coming up with names for things. Yeah. It just doesn't help. <laughs> no, it's true. Um, really bad branding going on in academia, really bad marketing. We're going to talk about one such important idea that is hidden behind some really bad labels. (laughs) So let's start with the term. So we're going to talk today about hyperbolic discounting. Oh, that sounds exciting subject, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, it just rolls off the tongue and excites the imagination. You know what? We've lost 50% of the audience already. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. We didn't want that 50% anyway. (laughs) Those of you who are still sticking around after I said hyperbolic discounting, you're the true gems. You're the ones that we want. The interesting thing is, as you go into it, you realize how important it is. So anyway, you carry on. It affects a lot of things. Hyperbolic discounting describes the way that people discount the value of something over time. This plays into all kinds of decisions that we make. It, it's essentially the the choice between a reward now and a reward later. Now, we as people discount what is not immediately in front of us. So if I were to offer you the choice between $100 now or you could wait in a week from now, I could give you $100. Like which of those two would you want? It's rational to discount that, to say, well, if I had the $100 now, then I could start spending it or investing it right away. If I had to wait for it, then 
What's the benefit to me of doing that? So discounting is rational. Discounting is fine. The problem arises in terms of how much people discount. So if I were to ask you how much more money would I need to give you in a week in order for it to be the same to you as getting $100 now, there's kind of a, a right answer to that based on investment strategies in the marketplace. So what's the reasonable rate of return you could get for investing $100 for a week? And it would be a very small amount of money. And that's kind of like a, a rational, like that should be how much you should appreciate for it. And the reality is that people end up wanting way more money than they kind of rationally should for delay. And so that's where this this idea of, of hyperbolic discounting comes. So hyperbolic describes the shape. <laughs> Sorry, Colin, I apologize to you and all of our listeners. I know, I know. And in fact, go ahead and sleep through this next part. We'll get back in a minute. Hyperbolic describes the shape of the discounting curve. So if we were to model this mathematically, you could have a linear curve. So it could just be a straight discounting line or it could be a quadratic curve that would describe a steeper decline or decay. And hyperbolic means it is really steep. So if I make you delay it all, then you are going to demand all kinds of compensation for that. Uh, another way of saying it is that we really, really overvalue immediacy. Yeah. So basic layman's example is just building on what you were saying is, if I said to you, here's $100, you can have it now. Or if I said to you, here's $150, you can have it next week, most people would still go for the $100 now. Yeah. I mean, if it's that extreme where it's 50% more in a week, we'd probably get a lot of people taking the, the variation. A variation. But if it was $115 or $120, and the interesting bit is, well, what is the amount, therefore, that you would go for? And And as you were talking... I was then thinking about sort of intuitive and rational thinking. So again, if you haven't listened to that, this is a fairly fundamental point about how people make decisions. Um, they make them either intuitively or they make them rationally. So the rational part is you, in this example, would go, right, well, if I've got $100 now and the interest rate's 2%, then, you know, the, the answer's $102. But actually, people don't make decisions like that. Though This would be much more of an intuitive decision where you would go, no, I want it now. Yeah, yeah. And and it's it's this immediacy bias, this, this wanting things now, this not wanting to delay that produces a lot of irrational responses that drive economists who study this kind of stuff crazy. The value on immediacy is just so strong that it it leads to some some really crazy decisions that we make around investing, certainly, but then, you know, also around things like delaying purchases. Like we just, you know, we we want something now and even if we could maybe get it on sale if we wait a little bit, we're less likely to do that or we're willing to expend, you know, going out of the realm of money, we're willing to expend a lot more effort sometimes in order to get things now rather than getting them more efficiently later in a different way. So that's the big idea explained in the worst terminology we could possibly imagine. <laughs> Absolutely. So if you start thinking about that immediacy part, is there anything that's happening therefore about that immediacy piece that that is causing people to do it. I mean, I'm thinking 
well, they may give me $100. If I took $100 now, maybe something would happen and they would change their mind next week. So maybe I should just grab it and go. Is there anything that's really happening around that immediacy piece? Yeah. So like a lot of things that are very, very strong, a lot of effects that are very strong and hyperbolic discounting or, or time inconsistent discounting is another way that it's phrased sometimes. It's probably multiply determined. So there are probably lots of reasons why we do this, why we delay. Some of it is risk management, right? Like you say you're going to give me $115 in a week, but you could disappear. Who knows? And so it makes some sense to not discount in a strictly kind of market-based rational manner in order to mitigate that risk. But there's also a lot of kind of non-rational, intuitive, emotional responses. You and I have talked a little bit about hot and cold processing. There's the the cold, rational perspective on things, and then there's the the hot, emotional perspective. And a lot of immediacy bias is this, things are, are very tantalizing when they're right in front of you. The appeal is just much stronger. You get kind of these stronger emotional responses to things. All of those things contribute to this. When I think about it, you know, there's that wonderful phrase, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. It's funny how how much of behavioral economics is kind of rediscovering cultural knowledge that we have. And and there are a lot of idioms that are like that. And a, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. It can be interpreted in terms of hyperbolic discounting. So if, if you have the opportunity to later get two birds, you know, by expending a little bit of effort, that's clearly better. But how much more would we value the immediacy of actually having one thing already and not having to wait and, and get get it later. There was this whole area, wasn't there, of, uh, I remember watching a video, I can't remember the uh, name of it, I'm sure you do, about maturity of children. And the video was about marshmallows and getting kids in a room and basically putting marshmallows in front of them and saying to them, don't eat those marshmallows. I'll come back in 10 minutes and you can have them all or something like that. The whole experiment was around whether the person or the child actually at the marshmallows. You, I think it was you can have one now or you can have three later or something like that. And the whole theory behind that was, I guess, the, the whole area that we're talking about, which is you can have something immediate, but you can actually have more of something later. And did they listen to it? Yeah. So uh, this is a really famous set of experiments done in, in developmental psychology. And it's exactly as you described. So the researcher would present the child with a marshmallow and say, you can eat this if you want to, but I'm going to leave the room and I'm going to come back in a a few minutes. And if you can wait, if you can not eat the marshmallow, then I'll give you whatever, two or three marshmallows. They've run various different versions of this. You know, when we talk about adults, we can talk about investments or gambles or getting paid off now or later. To a child, this is the monetary equivalent. If I'm a child, I don't care about $100 now or later. But a marshmallow, like that's that's worth a lot more than money. So it's the same basic situation, just geared towards a different set of motivations. And this is a hyperbolic discounting problem. So are you willing to put off the immediate reward in order to get a greater reward later? It feeds into, in this case, self-control. So are you willing to not spend that money to go out and party with your friends now so you can invest it and save it up so that you can buy that nicer appliance later? You know, are you willing to put off immediate gratification for, for later reward? 
And even as children, we struggle with this. Interestingly, that set of studies found that this marshmallow task predicted a lot of things later in life, like kind of eventual financial success and test scores and those other things. But it does, it comes back to this this time discounting problem. So this has got to be a major problem for pension companies. Yeah. Hasn't it? Yep. In other words, save for the future. Don't go out and fritter all your money away now. Save for the future because that's the sensible thing to do. Mm-hmm. And again, there are lots of reasons why people don't do that. But among them is this hyperbolic discounting. The amount of return that I feel like it would need to be worth my while to put off the immediate gratification of spending is huge because I discount the future so much. If I'm willing to take out $100 a week out of my paycheck, what is the return that I think that it would make it worthwhile 40 years from now? And just the way we discount money over time, those returns have to be completely unrealistically large in order for it to tempt me now. So I spend the $100 now. Why not let Colin and Ryan speak at your next conference? As you can hear, they're great communicators and can get over a message in a simple, inspiring, and humorous way. Contact Beyond Philosophy by going to beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. And as usual, we always put a, a warning up that there's more than one thing happening. You can never just turn around and say, it's this and nothing else is happening. So there are lots of things happening and that can be mental accounting, that could be, I guess, part of it as well could be if you're saying put $100 away a month, if you're earning a million dollars a year, then actually $100 is not very much. But if you're only earning 5000 a year, then actually $100 is a lot of money. Quite a lot, yeah. So I guess it's proportionate. The other thing I thought of was I wonder whether this gets then affected by by need or by Maslow. So... In other words, I'll give you $50 this week or $200 next week. Yeah, but, you know, I actually need to eat now. Sure. So I'm going to take that because I genuinely have a need that I can't wait another week for. Sure. No, of course it will. Yeah. It essentially raises the costs of waiting. And so you would you would need proportionately more return in order to kind of offset those costs, those personal costs to you of waiting. Another thing that it can be affected by is how much you identify with your future self. So there's this phenomenon where we can think of our future selves as being very, very similar to our current self or as being a completely different person almost. So when you are in your 20s and starting off with your first job and you have the opportunity to invest for retirement, the thought of you as a retired person, it seems like just a complete alien like it's just such a different person that you don't connect with that person. And so it doesn't feel like you're shortchanging your future self because it feels like it's just a stranger. Uh, I have a friend who wrote a paper on this and they they identified a lot of the reasons that people identify with themselves or not. They ran a study with, you know, this aging software where you can put your picture in and it shows you what you'll look like as you're much older. Oh, yeah, yeah. They used some of that and they showed that when people can see pictures of themselves looking much older, that they will commit more to retirement. Like it it comes home that, oh yeah, no, that will be me in 40 years. And I should, my friend who wrote this paper, they didn't name the the paper this, but he told me they wanted to title the paper, screw you old man, like the 
propensity to invest for retirement. Or thing. And the idea is that you, picturing your future self, it can seem like a completely different person. And so, you know, when you think of your future self as being much closer to you, then this hyperbolic discounting will reduce. You'll be more likely to align your interests. So does that apply with, so I've got two examples here, three examples. One I was thinking about before we started the show. You can give me your three examples now, Colin, or if you wait a week, you can give me six examples. <laughs> I'll give you the three now. Uh, see? So, see? Because <laughs> I know my memory is not going to be good enough to retain these three. All right, that's rational. We'll give that to you. So one is gambling. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. If I gamble, and again, we all know that, again, there's a lot more happening in gambling than, than just this, but the immediacy of gambling is that you get a satisfaction now as opposed to I don't know, actually. That's an interesting thought, actually. If I gamble now on the race or whatever it is I'm gambling in is I get now, or do I put a gamble on for a horse that's running next week? Mm -hmm. That's an interesting one, isn't it? So one was about gambling. The other one was about, and this is something I struggle with, just weight loss. Yeah, yep. If I stop eating and do more exercise today, then I'm going to be thinner tomorrow. But am I actually going to do that because of the disparity between the immediate satisfaction and the longer term benefits? Does that make sense? Yes, I think it absolutely does. Would you put that under this theory? Yeah, it can. So we're, we're going to look at it in a much more abstract manner than getting money now versus later. But if we look at it in terms of benefits, like you can have this immediate small benefit of eating the cookie or the long-term benefit of losing weight and being healthier. And when framed in those perspective, it, it starts to look very much like a marshmallow now versus three later. You're giving up, you're choosing the immediate small reward and giving up the larger later reward. You know, gambling is another interesting way of looking at this. You could take $100 that you could bet on a horse and you could invest it. You could put it in some kind of investment vehicle with compound interest. And in 30 or 40 years, it would be worth substantially more, almost certainly. Like that would be a guaranteed return. Or we could have the immediate pleasure of a risky outcome where we're almost certainly likely to lose all of that money. Which is where it goes back to there's a lot more happening than just this one thing. What I do think is that you and I need to start, now we've managed to sort of equate this to uh, weight loss and stuff like that. We should start a new diet called hyperbolic discounting diets. That'll fly off the shelves. It will. You can imagine it, can't you? I guarantee there's nobody else out there doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Hyperbolic. And people might think that it's some kind of like hyperbolic chamber that you get into. Yeah. The other example that I wanted to test with this theory was car wash. I'm interested. Go ahead. (laughs) You can go to a car wash and you can buy your car wash to have your car washed, or you can buy five vouchers that is going to last you however long it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm wondering if that's how that or how that is linked. It's probably not the same thing. The longer term benefit is I'm getting my car wash cheaper because, you know, I'm going there regularly and therefore I bought a batch against I'm paying a higher price, but I'm not doing that. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, so anytime we're talking about a purchase over time, I think 
hyperbolic discounting is going to play into it. Where things will get complicated with that particular example is in addition to that, we're also now talking about a discount based on future behavior and based on a bulk purchase. And so that'll kind of muddy those distinctions a little bit. In general, people are going to value the immediacy more than future benefits. So as a practical matter, that might mean that the car wash is going to have to really discount those future car washes a lot in order for people to be willing to shell out the payment up front. So it may have to be a substantial price discount in order to get people to commit to those five future car washes. Yeah. And going back to what you said at the beginning, it depends on the amount, doesn't it? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Because if I'm offered $100 now or $150, well, maybe I'll wait for the $150, but where's the break point? Exactly. So I guess the same applies with a car wash, doesn't it? Is Where's the break point? What's the point that people start to become interested in that? How do people find that out? How do they, do you just test it in, in research or what? The question that you were asking about what is the break point, where do people, that is exactly the question that led these psychologists to determine the shape of that curve. Uh, psychologists and economists, I should say. It was exactly this question. Like at, at what point are people discounting this money more or less as a function of time? And by doing these experiments over and over again, and by, by asking people at different points of time and at different amounts of money, they very consistently came to this very steep curve where if I have to delay at all, people start to demand a, a really high relative return for that. The other part of this that we haven't talked about as much because it's often not as important in predicting people's behavior, but the other end of the hyperbolic curve is that it really flattens out at some point. So there's this really steep drop off if you have to delay at all. But then when we get out to much longer delays, like the delay between 10 years and 15 years, people are insensitive to rates of return on those levels. Like it gets far enough out and people are just really insensitive to it. It's similar to our discussions about diminishing sensitivity, where if it's far enough away, it all kind of seems like the same. Sure. And again, the whole area of risk and of everything, how risk averse people are and loss aversion and guess all those things start to play a point. Yeah. As you like to say, these other things don't go away just because we're interested in one topic. So yeah, it, it all is playing out all at the same time. Okay, good. Let's do our usual bit of, so what? What does this mean that we need to go away and do? The first thing is just understanding the way that people discount things and understanding how time plays into value and that it is not rational. I will say that some of the biases we talk about on this podcast, it's very difficult for managers, people who are selling things to anticipate those biases because they just seem so crazy. I would guess that for hyperbolic discounting, it's actually going to be not that hard for managers to anticipate where people are going to go with that. This is another one of those really hardwired things. And so I think a lot of people respond the same way. So you might be able to anticipate, oh, if I want people to commit to five future car washes, I'm really going to need to give them a steep discount on the price in order to do that. So this is a bias. It's something that we should all be aware of. The good news, if there is any, is that 
humans all seem to be more or less on the same page on this bias. <laughs> so this one doesn't require as much perspective taking or as much accommodation, but just realize that it's out there. And anytime you incorporate time into the sales process, this is going to be going on. And if there's any kind of delay at all, people are really going to be hesitant about that. They're really going to demand a large return. So are there ways that you can make immediacy work to your favor? Amazon is one example where it's really hard now for many people, myself included, to shop online anywhere other than Amazon because I know I'm going to need to wait an extra few days to get it as opposed to the next day or, or the, the day after that I know that I'll get with Amazon. The immediacy bias is really strong in that and, and Amazon has a, a real advantage on that. I would just sort of echo that in the sense of uh, immediacy plays a lot People want things now. Yeah. And obviously with some businesses, pensions, life insurance, all those things, they will struggle against this. And there are clearly ways of getting around that by doing what you were saying in terms of, well, painting the picture of what the person looks like in the future, et cetera, et cetera. The power of now is really important. My advice would be you've got to think about that and how you can help with the gratification of customers at the beginning. And for me, again, there's always degrees and there's always, it's never everyone is going to go, here's $100, there's $115. Some people will go for the $115. Some people will be $125 that you need to offer them if you want them to extend the offer. Yep, That's the one way of me describing it. But the important part here is, again, is segmentation, understanding your customers, understanding the customers' behaviors, and grouping those people together so when you can start making those offers, then maybe they need to be different for different groups of people. So thank you very much for listening today. We hope that's been of use. If you've got any questions, any suggestions, then please contact us. Just email us at contact at beyondphilosophy.com. That's contact at beyondphilosophy.com. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks very much. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer. <laughs>